Heavenly Father, as we have the privilege of coming before you, as we stand together and enter your throne room, Lord, we are just thankful. Thankful for all that you've given us. Thankful for the ability to just be here and to worship together, to honor you. And Lord God, as we, as we ask you, it's, it's asking but with recognition that you are God. We ask, Lord, because we love you and we recognize that even if the song that we sang last Sunday, even if, Lord, you don't answer the way that we want you to, we will give you the praise and the glory. Our faith is not contingent on whether or not you answer our prayers. Our faith is based upon the fact that you are God. And we are just thankful for the privilege of standing in your presence. And now, Lord, as we look at this list and we think about the ways that you have been active this week, we just give you praise. But we also know, Lord, that there are many among us who are dealing with all sorts of things, Lord, and we need your healing touch. This um, the COVID is around us, Lord, and it is affecting more and more people that we know and we love. We pray, Lord, that you would come near, that you would heal. But Lord, we pray these things not for our comfort, but for your glory. We also know, Lord, that there are are many around us that still are struggling with things like cancer and big decisions that they need to make regarding treatment. Lord God, we pray for wisdom for those decisions. We think about people that are struggling, Lord, through this time in their thoughts with depression and anxiety at all-time highs. God, we just need you. But Lord, our desire is that our entire country would recognize and humble themselves before you, not just because we need something, but because you are God. If we will only humble ourselves and pray and seek your face, Lord God, then times of healing, times of refreshing can come. Our country needs you. We are divided in more than one way, Lord. Our leaders need you. God, I pray for President Trump, Vice President Pence. I pray for the Congress that is making big decisions right now, for the Supreme Court that is hearing all sorts of cases that are important, for the federal courts that are hearing very important cases. And Lord, for the election, we pray that the truth would be made known. That's what we pray for, truth. May the truth be made known. God, we pray for Vice President-elect Joe Biden, Kamala Harris, for President-elect and for Vice President. And Lord, we just, we ask you that in the middle of this chaotic moment, when it seems that things are unsure, we ask for truth and we ask for a humbleness in our country that we might bow before you. And we ask for a humbleness in the churches of this country that there might be a bowing before you. Lord, we need your wisdom. I pray against division. I pray for unity. Help us, Lord, to navigate 
And finally, Lord, I pray for the Board of Trustees tomorrow that's going to be meeting. Give us wisdom, Lord. Show us the step you want us to take. Help us to hear only you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Today, once again, we are going to return to the Gospel of Luke. So if you'd take your Bibles and open to Luke chapter 11. We're going to be spending time there. Lord God, as we open your word now, we simply ask that you would speak to us. We are not smart enough. We are not diligent enough to hear without you. So Holy Spirit, please be here and speak to us. Amen. So as I have been thinking about this next passage in Luke, it's been a couple weeks since we were in Luke. Um, We took a little bit of a detour that I felt the Lord was telling us to take the past two weeks. But a couple weeks ago, um, we did kind of a unique worship exercise. You may remember, if you were here at the 10 o'clock service, uh, we had one week where we didn't have a worship team. Um, There was all kinds of reasons for that, but instead of singing worship songs, we were all encouraged to come up to the front and to fill out a little piece of paper and it says, God, you are, and then there was a line, and, and you were supposed to pray and write something on that card. Now, if you were here or at home, I hope you did that. Well, I felt God say that the word I was to write was provider. God, you are provider. This little piece of paper has been then sitting on my desk. I, I put it in my pocket on Sunday after church that day. And then when I was emptying out my pockets to get ready to go home, I took it out and I stuck it on my desk. And it's just been sitting there. And every day, I've been looking at this, God, you are provider. And for the past three weeks, I've been thinking every week I'm going to preach on Luke 11, and then I haven't. But I've been thinking about Luke 11 now for three weeks. And this God, you are provider has been front and center. So I'm going to read this, and we're going to go through it, and then... We're going to see where God takes us. So, Luke 11, 1 through 13. One day Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John taught his disciples to pray. He said to them, When you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us, and lead us not into temptation. Then he said to them, suppose one of you is a friend, and he goes to him at midnight and says, friend, lend me three loaves of bread, because a friend of mine on a journey has come to me, and I have nothing to set before him. Then the one inside answers, don't bother me. The door is already locked, and my children are with me in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. I tell you, though he will not get up and give him the bread because he is his friend, yet because of the man's boldness, he will get up and give him as much as he needs. So I say to you, if your son asks for, so I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks the door will be opened. Which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? 
Or if he asks for an egg, we'll give him a scorpion. If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? We usually call this passage the Lord's Prayer. However, um, that's really not a very good name for it. You know what this ought to be called? It ought to be called the Disciples' Prayer, not the Lord's Prayer. This isn't the Lord's Prayer. This is the Lord teaching his disciples how to pray. It's a prayer for the disciples, the disciples' prayer. Now, my guess is this is not new information for you. In fact, I would be willing to guess that virtually everybody in this room has this memorized. Well, actually, you probably have the Matthew version memorized. Jesus teaches the Lord's Prayer in the Sermon on the Mount in the book of Matthew. You'll notice when I was reading along and your mind was just going over familiar paths, did you notice that there's stuff missing? Were you like, oh, that was weird. That, why, why is stuff missing? Well, it's missing because you've memorized the Lord's Prayer in the book of Matthew. Luke is different. It's shorter. It's more concise. It's the same prayer, but it's shorter. And it, it's, it's much more just give you what you need. So it's not wrong that that it's different in Matthew. In fact, as people copied the New Testament over the years, some scribes got to this section in Luke and were like, uh, I think they forgot some stuff, and so they just added the, the Matthew stuff. And if you look in your Bible, there's, there's text notes in your Bible that will fill in all of the blanks with the things in Matthew. That's because scribes a thousand years ago added the little Matthew parts because just like you did just now when we were reading it, you added them in your own brain. Did you see that? When, when we read through that, you did that. Well, Luke, however, the earliest texts of Luke have just like this, just short and concise. Now, you can trust the Bible. It, it's just scribes doing what you just did a, a thousand years later. So, now, you know this passage. You know the Lord's Prayer, the Disciples' Prayer. You've memorized it. You've said it probably at funerals, or if you've been to a, a, a Catholic worship service, you've probably said the Lord's Prayer. It's just part of the service, right? So, what are we going to talk about today? I mean, how many sermons does a person really need to have on the Lord's Prayer in their life, right? I mean, come on. Seems like one's enough. Well, I've been asking you to do something on and off throughout this nine months that we've been dealing with strangeness. I've been asking you to sit with unhurried time in the presence of the Lord. I've asked you to stop and to just talk to God and let Him speak to you. I've asked you to take a journal and to write what you hear the Lord saying to you. And in this moment when everything is so loud, everything's so noisy, and everybody's got an opinion, okay? I've asked you to stop and listen to God. Write down what He says. Well, I can't tell you to do something and then not do it myself. Then I would be a hypocrite. I have been trying to do that as well. And it's difficult to take unhurried time, isn't it? Because it feels like you've got stuff to do. Important stuff. But this week I stopped. And I asked God 
to direct me. I asked the Lord to speak to me about this passage in Luke 11. But I also asked the Lord to help me with the burden that I feel for this church. It seems like we're all inside a pressure cooker right now. And the heat and the pressure just keep rising. I asked God to direct me to what he wanted me and what he wanted us to hear from Luke 11. I asked him to open my ears and my heart and my mind to his will, to his direction, and to his word. And with all of this together, sitting quietly, listening to God in an unhurried way, I heard God speak. He directed me someplace I didn't expect. I asked God specifically to show me in his word what he wanted me to hear. And he took me someplace I did not expect. I believe that the passage that we're going to study now is directly related to Luke 11 and it's directly related to the burden I feel as, as a church, the church on me, and also the, the situation that we're in. Somehow God found a passage that speaks to all of it at the same time. Very unexpected place. Turn in your Bibles to the book of Numbers. Most people don't read Numbers daily. It's not a page-turner. Actually, there are very interesting things in there. God wants us to hear what this story has. Now, I need to set this up before we start reading. I need to set this up. This is a story about Moses and the people of Israel. But I need you to understand where this happens in the timeline. So, when Moses led the people out of Egypt, okay, the Red Sea opened up and the people walked through in dry land. Do you remember when Pharaoh's army was destroyed, do you remember where the Israelites went next? They went to Mount Sinai. Remember? The mountain of the Lord. And when they got to Mount Sinai, Moses went up and there was a cloud and lightning and Moses got the Ten Commandments and he came down. Do you, all of that happened at the foot of Mount Sinai. And actually, the people of Israel stayed at Mount Sinai for about one year. And they built the tabernacle and they built the Ark of the Covenant and they were at the base of the mountain and Moses taught them the law. When they got done being at the mountain... God himself, in a pillar of smoke, a pillar of cloud by day, and a pillar of fire by night, led them from Mount Sinai and led them across the desert to the promised land. Do you remember that? And then when they got to the promised land, they sent in ten spies, and the ten spies said, two of them said, we should go in, and the other eight said, no, it's too scary. Right? Well, this story today happens right after the pillar of cloud has the Israelites leave Mount Sinai. So they are, they are going from Mount Sinai to the promised land. So this is before they were wandering in the desert for 40 years. This is right after they got the law, okay? Now let's read. I'm going to read sections of this, and then I'm going to give a little comment about each section. Numbers 11, chapter 1. i got to say one more thing. Before I begin, the burden that I felt as a pastor. Our country and our state and our town and our church are divided right now. 
about COVID-19. What I'm going to say next, I want you to hear neutrally. I'm saying it neutrally. There are people in our church over here who feel that COVID-19 is severe enough that they need to stay at home and not interact with anybody, and they have not interacted with hardly anybody for nine months. These people feel that it is very serious. And then there are people on the other side, over here, who feel that COVID-19 is a hoax, that it's false, that it is not to be feared, and in fact, it's to be considered a fakeness. And then there are people all the way on the continuum between those two points. I'm not saying that in any way except that's the way we are right now as a church and as an entire nation. And I want you to know as your pastor the weight of this, the weight of trying to minister to people on that entire continuum, I want you to know is crushing me. And this is the passage that God led me to. Numbers 11, verse 1. Now the people complained about their hardships in the hearing of the Lord. And when he heard them, his anger was aroused. Then fire from the Lord burned among them and consumed some of the outskirts of the camp. When the people cried out to Moses... He prayed to the Lord, and the fire died down. So that place was called Taborah, because fire from the Lord had burned among them. The rabble with them began to crave other food. And again the Israelites started wailing and said, If only we had meat to eat! We remember the fish we ate in Egypt at no cost, also the cucumbers and melons, leeks, onions, and garlic. But now we have lost our appetite. We never see anything but this manna. The manna was like coriander seed and looked like resin. The people went around gathering it and then ground it in a handmill or crushed it in a mortar. They cooked it in a pot or made it into cakes. And it tasted like something made with olive oil. Then the dew settled on the camp at night. The manna also came down. I want to pause here. What's the fourth word of this passage? Verse 1. Now the people complained. Now the people complained. And God was angered at their complaint. In fact, God was so angered that he sent fire to burn the outskirts of the Israelite camp. And the people were scared by the fire. They went to Moses and they said, Moses, please, please intervene for us. And Moses prayed and the fire stopped. But listen now. It looks to me like the ashes weren't even done smoldering before the people complained again. And this time, they complained because they didn't like the manna. Now, let me remind you, let me remind you, this is only a year since the Red Sea parted and they walked through on dry land. 
That's when this story takes place. And the people are literally walking to the promised land. Like, that is this story. They are literally on their way to be given the land that God promised to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They, are, they have just come from the base of Mount Sinai where God made them a people. He called them his own people. And they complain. And what do they complain about? The manna. The word manna in Hebrew means, what is this? That's what the word means. What is this? Do you know what it is? Do you know what the manna is? The manna was the provision of the Lord. The people were complaining about the provision of the Lord. Verse 10, Moses heard the people of every family wailing, each at the entrance to his tent. The Lord became exceedingly angry. Can I stop right there? Let me read that again. The Lord became exceedingly angry. If you ever read that in Scripture, take note. It's not good. This is what we are to avoid making the Lord exceedingly angry. The Lord became exceedingly angry, and Moses was troubled. He asked the Lord, Why have you brought this trouble on your servant? What have I done to displease you, that you put the burden of all these people on me? Did I conceive all these people? Did I give birth to them? Why do you tell me to carry them in my arms as a nurse carries an infant to the land you promised on oath to their forefathers? Where can I get meat for all these people? They keep wailing to me, give us meat to eat. I cannot carry all these people by myself. The burden is too heavy for me. If this is how you're going to treat me, put me to death right now. If I have found favor in your eyes, and do not let my face do not let me face my own ruin Moses speaks to the Lord and what does he say he says three things he gives a complaint and then he asks a question and then he gives a plea his complaint is why have you brought this trouble on me in other words Moses is saying what did i do to deserve this why are, these why are these people complaining? Why is this my responsibility? Why, why did this burden come upon me? This is what Moses is saying. And then Moses asks a question, a real question of the Lord. Where can I get meat for all these people? That's a legitimate question. And then Moses gives a plea. He pleads with the Lord, I cannot carry this burden. It is too heavy. It is so heavy that it would be better for me to die. Now, here's what I love about this passage. What we're going to find next is a conversation that Moses and God have. Verse 16, the Lord said to Moses, Bring me 70 of Israel's elders who are known to you as leaders and officials among the people. Have them come to the tent of meeting, that they may stand there with you. 
I will come down and speak with you there, and I will take the spirit that is on you and put the spirit on them. They will help you carry the burden of the people so that you will not have to carry it alone. Tell the people, consecrate yourselves in preparation for tomorrow when you will eat meat. The Lord heard you when you wailed. If only we had meat to eat, we were better off in Egypt. Now the Lord will give you meat, and you will eat it. You will not eat it for just one day, or two days, or five, ten, or twenty days, but for a whole month, until it comes out of your nostrils, and you loathe it, because you have rejected the Lord, who is among you, and have wailed before him, saying, Why did we ever leave Egypt? God's reply to Moses. Now, I want you to notice that God's initial reply was directly to Moses and specifically to the plea that Moses made that the burden was too heavy. God's first reply was to lessen the burden, to say, bring leaders with you and I will take the spirit that is on you because Moses felt the burden, the weight of the people on his shoulders. And God said, I will take the spirit and I will take the burden and I will spread it out among leaders with you. And then God speaks to Moses' question. The question, how am I supposed to find meat for these people? And God says, I will provide the meat. And then Moses, in the next verse, verse 21, Moses asks another question. But Moses said, here I am among 600,000 men on foot, and you say, I will give them meat to eat for a whole month. Would they have enough if flocks and herds were slaughtered for them? Would they have enough if all the fish in the sea were caught for them? Now, this is Moses' reply. Moses isn't stupid. He looks at the people, and he knows if everybody in the camp were to eat meat every day, they could slaughter every animal that they had, and it wouldn't be enough. It wouldn't be enough. And so Moses asks a very practical question. I like practical questions. I like to know how we're going to work through things. I like to have plans. Moses liked to have plans. God, I can't do that. There's not enough. And God's reply. <laughs> God's reply to Moses. Verse 23. The Lord answered Moses. Is the Lord's arm too short? <laughs> Is the Lord's arm too short? You will now see whether or not what I say will come true for you. May I ask you, do you believe that the Lord's arm is too short? How small do you think God is? The Israelites in this moment were literally being sustained by the manna of God. Their, their provision was 100% God in this moment. But it wasn't enough. 
At least they didn't think it was. They wanted variety. They craved variety. God's provision wasn't enough, and they craved more. Verse 24. So Moses went out and told the people what the Lord had said. He brought together 70 of their elders and had them stand around the tent. Then the Lord came down in the cloud and spoke with him. And he took of the spirit that was on him and put the spirit on the 70 elders. When the spirit rested on them, they prophesied, but they did not do so again. However, two men whose names were Ildad and Medad had remained in the camp. They were listed among the elders, but did not go out to the tent. Yet the spirit also rested on them, and they prophesied in the camp. A young man ran and told Moses, Eldad and Medad are prophesying in the camp. Joshua, son of Nun, who had been Moses' aide since youth, spoke up and said, Moses, my Lord, stop them! But Moses replied, Are you jealous for my sake? I wish that all the Lord's people were prophets and that the Lord would put his spirit on them. Then Moses and the elders of Israel returned to the camp. The Spirit is given to the 70. And then they are allowed to prophesy. And what's the point of this? That Moses might share the burden. The, the Spirit is given to the, to the 70. Now, this is the Old Testament. This is the Old Covenant. God interacted with humans differently in the Old Covenant than He interacts with us today. Do you know why it's different today? Because of this. Not because of the, the symbolic act of communion, but because what the symbolic act of communion symbolizes. The blood of Christ has opened the way between God and us. And now, we all have access to the Spirit. Not just the 70 and not just for one moment to help Moses. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you can have what those 70 had right now. The power of the Spirit to share the burden. And now verse 31. Now a wind went out from the Lord and drove quail in from the sea. It brought them down all around the camp to about three feet above the ground as far as a day's walk in any direction. All that day and night and all the next day, the people went out and gathered quail. No one gathered less than ten homers. Then they spread them all out all around the camp. <laughs> Is God's arm too short? The answer is no. God's power is enough. It is more than enough. And oh, church, how I wish this story ended here. But it does not end here. Verse 33. But while the meat was still between their teeth and before it could be consumed, the anger of the Lord burned against the people and he struck them with a severe plague. Therefore, the place was named Kibroth Harava 
because there they buried the people who had craved other food. What does this mean? How do we rationalize a God who is love with this story? And how does this connect with the Lord's prayer in Luke 11? And how does it connect with our situation today? This story reminds me that there is a difference between asking and complaining. That was important. I'm going to say it again. There is a difference between asking and complaining. Jesus taught his disciples, that's us. He taught us to pray. Look again at the prayer, Luke 11, 2. He said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us. And lead us not into temptation. What does this prayer mean? It, it's, it's so simple and yet so profound. Listen to what it means. Number one, recognize God's holiness. If you've prayed this prayer your whole life and you've never known what hallowed means, if you thought maybe we're supposed to like get a log and hollow it out, that's not what hallowed means. When you say, Father, hallowed be your name, hallowed means holy. When you say, hallowed be your name, you are recognizing the grandeur and the holiness of God. Hallowed be your name. Recognize God's holiness. Number two, recognize God's kingdom. When you say your kingdom come, you are saying the kingdom of this world is not my kingdom. I'm a citizen of God's kingdom. It's a recognition of where your allegiance is. Number three, recognize God's Provision. When you ask for, give us this day our daily bread, you are recognizing the provision of God in your life. Four, recognize your failure and ask forgiveness, and then grant forgiveness to those who have failed you. It's a recognition of that. A recognition of your sin and then a seeking of forgiveness and then offering the same. And five, a recognition that we need God to lead us if we are going to have victory over temptation. Some people read this and they don't understand what it means. And lead us not into temptation. So does that mean God was going to lead us into temptation and we have to ask him not to? No, that is not what that means. God does not tempt us to evil. God does not tempt us to evil. What this means is we need to recognize that the way we avoid temptation is by following God. It's a recognition 
of those five things. This is the daily prayer that we are all to say. That when, when Jesus says, when you pray, the word you in Greek, it's plural. This is not a personal prayer. This is a corporate prayer. We are to be together in the recognition of these things. Together in the recognition of God's holiness, His kingdom, His provision. The recognition of our sin and our forgiveness and granting and then recognition that it is God who leads us away from temptation together. It's an incredibly powerful prayer of recognition. And the Israelites in our story failed to recognize God's provision. They actually complained about God's provision. Numbers 11 teaches us that it is dangerous to complain about God's provision. God wants us to ask Him for His provision to us. He wants us to but be mindful that you are not complaining about the provision you already have. Luke 11, verse 5. Then he said to them, Suppose one of you has a friend, and he goes to him at midnight and says, Friend, let me three loaves of bread, because a friend of mine on a journey has come to me, and I have nothing to set before him. Then the one inside answers, Don't bother me. The door is already locked, and my children are with me in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. I tell you, though he will not get up and give him the bread because he is his friend, yet because of the man's boldness, he will get up and give him as much as he needs. The word boldness also means persistence. It's a boldness of persistence. That is what God desires us to do, but only in the recognition of those five things in the prayer. We are to boldly go before the Father and ask for His provision, but we are not to complain about the provision He's given us. And then verse 9, So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you, seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks the door will be opened. Which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, we'll give him a scorpion. If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts? That's what it says in Matthew. The parallel in Matthew says, give good gifts. But in Luke, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? And here's the question. Do you actually want the good gifts of the Lord or do you want to complain about His provision? That is the word of the Lord. I felt God say to me, needed to be said to us today.
I feel that our country, our culture, our state, our people, and the church, the church in America, all of us are at a moment of decision. We are at a moment of decision. Which is it going to be? Will you recognize God's holiness? Will you recognize God's kingdom? Will you recognize God's provision? Will you recognize your sin and seek forgiveness and then grant forgiveness to others? And will you recognize that it is only God who will lead you away from temptation? Or will you choose to complain for the, com for the provision He has given us already? That is the choice before us now. We have the opportunity to ask, and God will give us the Holy Spirit. Do you understand what I've already said? This is the Spirit that was on Moses, the Spirit that was shared with the 70, so that the burden could be held. You have access to the Holy Spirit. All you have to do is ask. Will you recognize and ask for the provision of the Lord and the power of the Spirit? Or will you complain about the provision He has given you? Barb, would you close us with a hymn? Let there be peace on earth. This is a Christmas song, and it's, it's a song that Bill and Rita picked out in our first service today. I'm going to try to sing it, but my voice is almost gone. So, you're going to have to deal with that. Would you please stand, and we will sing this together. Yeah. 
somehow the people at home can look past that horrible singing. May the words of that strike a chord with all of us. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for this reminder of your provision. May we recognize and may we respond by asking for you, Holy Spirit, You are the only hope to lead us from temptation. We seek your provision, Lord God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.